And I want to talk about uh, what it means to have a Christ-centered family from Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. So let's hear God's word as I read Colossians 3. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we ask your blessing. Teach us, instruct us by the Holy Spirit through this portion of your word. We thank you for your word. It's powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates into our hearts. So, Lord, convict us, encourage us, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we praise God for his design, for his plan for the family. He has created the family. He institutes it. He uh, defines it. And like all other things that God made, uh, the family is a good thing. It was intended by God to be a place of blessing, both for parents and for children. And marriage is the foundation of the family. So the first two verses in this text uh, talk about marriage. Just a couple of the uh, things that husbands and wives need to think about. And in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. Uh, I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so God established marriage, as we know in Genesis, one man, one woman, for life. And he instituted uh, marriage as a covenant. In, in uh, Malachi 2.14, it speaks of, uh, speaking to the man, it says, your wife is <clears throat> your companion and wife by covenant. And someone has termed the phrase uh, that marriage is a covenant of companionship. At its root, it's it's, it's a relationship, uh, and, and this relationship has a goal, and the goal is oneness or unity. And uh, <clears throat> God desires a profound oneness, and he says so in, in Genesis, that a man will leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two will be joined together and become one flesh. And we know that it's more, much more than simply a physical union, uh, but a profound oneness spiritually and emotionally and as well as physically between a husband and a wife. So <clears throat> this oneness is a reflection of the oneness of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, <clears throat> the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in the Old Testament, uh, the emphasis is on the oneness of God. And in the New Testament, we learn more about this God, that he is also uh, a plurality of persons, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he does not cease to be one God. Now, this is a, a mystery for us, but there is three in one and one in three. And so in, in the Trinity, in the, uh, there is a oneness and yet a distinctness of persons. Uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, one God, uh, equal in power and glory and in, in divineness and in, in godness. 
And yet they are individually, uh, they have individual identities. And when, as they are one God, they are distinct from one another. They do not lose their individual identities. And so a husband and wife, in a similar way, uh, by analogy, they become one, but they do not lose their individual identities. God says it's not good for man to be alone, and so he made Adam as a helper, as a helpmeet, someone to share his life with. And, uh, and so God himself from eternity has a shared life together, three persons of the Trinity uh, from eternity. Father, Son, and Spirit are, have been united in a relationship of love. We sometimes imagine God as this solitary entity yeah, you know, in this vast emptiness of space somewhere far away uh, from us. But God was never alone in the beginning. Uh, John, the apostle, speaking of Christ, uh, says that, that in the beginning the Word was God. The Word was also with God. And that word with means face-to-face towards one towards another. <clears throat> and so men and women, we were created in God's image that in marriage they might also live face-to-face, face-to-face in this bond, this covenant bond of marriage. So marriage is a reflection of Trinitarian love and commitment. Ephesians 5 tells us that it's also a picture of the love that Jesus Christ has for his church. And so uh, God has uh, designed marriage as a reflection of these glorious uh, relationships uh, within himself and God he is a relational God but you know relationships have boundaries they have guidelines and he's the one who defines those things he's given us uh, those guidelines and actually commandments uh, in his word and they're all throughout the Bible and uh, as sinful human beings like everything else uh, if you put a sign up that says don't touch what are we wanting to do? We want to touch and, uh, and do what the sign says not to do. And so we resist God's design for marriage. And, uh, and yet in Jesus Christ, um, being redeemed by his grace, redeemed by his blood, uh, we are being conformed to his image. And so instead of rebelling and resisting those commandments, we embrace them because we know uh, they're for our good. We know that God does uh, commands these things because he loves us and wants the best for us. And so in, in verses 18 and 19 of Colossians 3, uh, we have very simple instructions. It's, it's a very concise summary. There's so much more that the Bible says elsewhere and that could be said. But these simple things, if heeded, will cause a marriage to uh, become one and then therefore a reflection of Trinitarian love. Paul said, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting for the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And um, so a Christ-centered family begins uh, with a Christ-centered marriage. And um, what is a Christ-centered marriage? Well, it's one where a husband and wife seek to honor Jesus Christ, uh, to have him at the center of all that they do, the center of their relationship. And so um, a Christian wife should not find it diff- if she's, if she's uh, submitted to Christ, first and foremost, she 
shouldn't find it a burden to submit to her husband because she's doing so as unto the Lord and commanded by the Lord. And then a, a Christian husband should it, shouldn't find it to be a burden or to make it a burden for his wife, I should say, uh, to submit to her. Uh, he, she, he should make it easy because he is called to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And anyone who knows Christ uh, does not have a problem with submitting to him. Ephesians 5 says, As Christ loved the church and gave himself for That's how uh, we're to love our wives. But another purpose that God has for marriage, if you go back to Genesis, is to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, that's still true today. Um, you know, the population, world population is, uh, in many places, is in decline today. And, um, but that's not, the point here is that, that, that God designed the family, and that includes children. Ordinarily includes children. There are exceptions, of course, uh, for different reasons. But I found it interesting, I read in an article this week, that uh, a lot of young people are taking vows not to have children. They're doing that because of what is called climate anxiety. Uh, they think that having more children will uh, doom the planet uh, because of climate change. Well, uh, you know, it, it, this climate anxiety is actually supposedly the number one trending reason for a declining birth rate in the world today. I was kind of surprised by that, but. Um, and there are other reasons why uh, I think younger couples today are not having children or not having as many children. And uh, But, you know, Christians, we're not to be driven by fear, fear of climate change, fear of anything, fear of not being able to provide for our children, things like that. Um, I guess I was probably uh, just a little ignorant and simple-minded, but I just, did, you know, we had six kids, and I... I didn't give it a lot of thought as to you know how we were going to feed them and take care of them and send them to college and stuff. You know, it's just I don't know if it was a, a simple naive thing or maybe it was a childlike faith. But uh, God provides. I can testify to that. Uh, so let's trust Him. You know, uh, the Bible says in Psalm 127, "Children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward." So we know that God blesses those who have children and who uh, dedicate them to the Lord and raise them for the Lord. And uh, we need more Christian children in this world. But in order to families, uh, for families to be healthy and to function properly, uh, again, we, we follow his instructions because he created the family. And uh, when Paul gives instructions in Colossians or other places uh, in the New Testament, he's really drawing on a, a very... Um, uh, you know, great resource in the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament uh, teaches us something uh, that, that God has always uh, worked through the family. That's been one of the chief uh, avenues uh, that he works in this world. And, um, and so behind God's instructions, uh, and they're not... Arbitrary. They're based on his own character as a father to us. Uh, they're um, based on his example. I'm, I'm not sure that we appreciate the family as we ought to uh, today. Uh, we know there are forces against it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what, 
When we do focus on the family, sometimes we go the other extreme and we idolize it. Uh, that's, we don't want to do that either because uh, the family exists not for itself, um, but for God, for his glory. And so um, the world does despise the family. I think we know that today, uh, and it, it's stated. Uh, the uh, cultural Marxists of our day say they want to uh, dismantle the nuclear family structure and uh, somehow that that's a bad thing. Uh, we know uh, if someone calls something that God declares to be good and says it's bad, we know where that comes from. It comes from the evil one. And uh, if we love our God, if we love the triune God who created us in his image, male and female, and commanded us to be fruitful and multiply and so on, then we will love the very idea of this family uh, as God designed it. And if we love him, we'll love the roles that he assigns for us in this marriage relationship. And so, um, wise, uh, accept, embrace the role of helpers of your Husbands and, and husbands uh, accept the role as the head of your wife, and yet the one who is to love her as Christ loved the church. So, and, and and of course, parents, especially fathers, have to accept the role of authority uh, that God has given to them, the place He's assigned to them as head of the home. And um, again, we all tend to resist these kinds of things, but when we embrace them, God's blessing comes to us. Uh, Remembering this, of course, that, that as we seek to follow the Lord's commands, that uh, we look to him, uh, rely upon our all-sufficient Savior and Lord, because apart from Jesus Christ, apart from his grace, uh, none of us can uh, keep these commands. Apart from him, if we're not actively working on our relationship with the Lord, uh, we're going to make a mess out of things, and we, we know that. Uh, we, we've experienced it when we do that. So we need to have a Christ-centered home. Uh, but is that really possible? You know, it just sounds ideal, right? Idealistic, perhaps. Uh, and what does it mean to have a Christ-centered home? Uh, and, and is there any hope for your home to be Christ-centered? And maybe some of you are single and you say, this doesn't apply to me. Well, it, it does in, in many ways. But uh, as you help and assist uh, other families and as God still may have uh, you know, a plan for you, uh, in the future also. But remember, first of all, that the Christian home is a place where sinners live. All right? They're saints, but they're sinful uh, saints. And at times, some Christian families have the idea that they can almost attain perfection in the home. If they just do everything right, uh, that they can almost be without blame. And uh, someone wrote uh, that the notion that a Christian home is, is perfect or near perfect place is not biblical. Uh, the parents in the home often fail. They fail miserably. They fail one another, fail their children, and fail God. And the children fail too. Conditions are far from ideal in the Christian home. But that's the realistic picture uh, of what it's like. And we have to admit that we're not what, always what God uh, wants us to be. Uh, as in the family, and uh, those Christians who go around pretending that there's, their kids never do anything wrong, and uh, that their children are perfect angels, uh, they're living in denial. So we have to be honest that we all have conflicts, we all have problems. Uh, not that we give in to those and say it's okay. Uh, no, we recognize it, 
And the sooner we recognize and admit it, you see, then we're on the way to being forgiven, receiving God's grace and help uh, to do better uh, the next time. And, and we're, it's a growing process. And so uh, we need Jesus every day because we sin every day. Uh, we sin every day in thought, word, and deed. And so a Christian home is a, or a Christ-centered home is one that recognizes that and then turns to Jesus. Because in turning to him and keeping our eyes on him, uh, we find the grace to overcome our sin. In Colossians uh, 3.20, uh, as we come back to the commands here, now we, we focus on the children. And it says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. And Auburn, of course, uh, uh, who was baptized today, she's very young, and, and yet soon enough, and probably even now, uh, they're teaching her uh, that they need to obey. Uh, she needs to obey her parents. And, uh, you know, the Bible addresses children directly. What does that say? It's saying that, that God says children are responsible, even at a young age, uh, to him. And, uh, and yes, when they sin, when they disobey, they, they do incur sin and guilt. And, uh, of course, that's why we need to teach our children not only the commandments, but... The gospel, the, the gospel of salvation and forgiveness. So children need Jesus. Uh, that's, uh, that, and, and so do parents. Uh, and we thank the Lord that uh, it, many testimonies uh, that I've heard through the years, my own, some of my own children, that they came to Christ at a very young age. And that should be the prayer of every Christian parent, especially of little ones. So... Uh, we recognize not only that sin that we're sinners in the Christian home, but that Jesus Christ lives in our homes. And he, he sees everything that happens, uh, so we might as well confess it and be open and honest about it. Uh, he sees when children disobey and also when parents don't do the right thing. So uh, the, good, the good thing is that if Jesus Christ is living in your home, and if he is the head of your home, uh, then at any time... You can turn to him for help, and his help will be given. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in all things. Uh, that means all things, except when a parent commands their child to do something that goes against the will of God, uh, which for a Christian parent would be a rare thing, I would think. But parents, if God commands us to uh, teach our children to obey in all things, then I think that means we are to expect obedience in all things. Um, and, and that's something to think about. But I think sometimes children think it's a very unfair setup to have to obey their parents and all things. But they need to remember their, their own parents were children one, at one time. And they had to do the same. They had to, we all have to go through that same process. And uh, the one truth you see that this teaches us, and it's hard. It is hard for children, especially the older they get. Uh, and we do give them more freedom as they get older. But... Uh, it, it, it's hard uh, for them to say, I have to obey you and everything. I have to do everything you tell me as a parent. What, what is this teaching? This is teaching that, you see, uh, whether we're parents or children, we're not our own. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have to do everything. We're called to do everything he commands us. There, there are no exemptions. Uh, I don't have to obey this command or that command. No, all. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says you are not your own. 
For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to God. I belong to God. Our children belong to God. And, uh, and th- these are the things we learn from these verses. And, um, you know, Jesus died for you so that you could belong to him. So that you could be married to him is, is one way the scripture puts it. So we're, we're his. Uh, we're not to go our own way, do our own thing. Not to do that in the family either. Uh, that oneness principle comes in in all what all always. Uh, finally, in the passage, he addresses fathers in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Uh, the word father there is, is properly translated father, but it can be translated as generically as parent. And so certainly uh, mothers are to be included in this exhortation, even though fathers have a greater responsibility as the authoritative head of the home. But um, as we know, uh, children do rebel against that authority, and they could be counted on to resist even from an early age. So uh, that, of course, uh, if, our par- if our children always said yes and never disobeyed, then life would be easy. But it's not. Uh, so that they try our patience. And sometimes the temptation to anger is strong. I don't know why it is, but men can get angry sometimes. Um, not that it ever happened to me. You understand. Uh, you know I'm joking. But uh, So if, if we're not careful, we can provoke our children, discourage them. And, and, uh, so, and we, as we discipline our children, we need to discipline ourselves so that when we correct them, uh, we are not coming down too hard on them, that uh, we're also not being too lenient. Uh, we're not just al- allowing anything and everything uh, that goes. But another way that we can sometimes provoke our children is through uh, inconsistency, whether it's our own lives lived, right? Children, they know when you know we act differently than what we're telling them to do. Uh, but also in the way that we discipline. Sometimes fathers discipline one way and sometimes uh, mothers another way, but there needs, again, that oneness principle comes into play with discipline. Uh, Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left of himself brings shame to his mother. And, and we need to remember how God, our Heavenly Father, deals with us. Uh, how does he deal with us? Uh, in Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Uh, we, we need to remember who are, what and who our children are, and that we need to pity them, and we need to uh, love them. Uh, Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And so we correct, but we do so with love. We do so with a delight uh, in our children. So what we need... Uh, in a Christ-centered family is Christ-centered parenting. Uh, Not child-centered parenting, not parent-centered parenting, but Christ-centered parenting. It's entirely different. And um, it's, it's, it's the idea of putting the honor of Jesus Christ and his will ahead of my own as a parent and ahead of the selfish ways of parent and child. Well, all this implies uh, as parents that, and, and as a husband and wife, that we are growing 
in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That daily we're seeking to grow in Christ likeness. Uh, those parents who parent best uh, are the ones who have a vital, growing relationship with the Lord, and uh, and then they model the Christian life for their children. And we do that even after our children leave the home. Uh, our children, hopefully, we still have a relationship with them after they leave the home. And we still show the, the example of Christ to them and are there for them in the years to come. So uh, as we close, I want to just read some of the verses that I read to Grayson and Taylor earlier. If you want to know how to be Christ-centered as parents or Christ-centered as a husband and wife, uh, listen to what Colossians 3 says. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so also uh, you must do. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. And then at the end, uh, in, in verse uh, 17, it says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's what it means uh, to have a Christ-centered life. Uh, and so I, I pray uh, that these words today will uh, challenge us, will encourage us, and uh, that we will reflect on them, meditate on them, and put them into practice in our lives. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Thank you, Lord.